Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. I hope you're having a great day. Welcome to the Coast View. As you know by now, this is a show that celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi a great place to live, work, and play. Today, we're having a Coast View session with a very special guest, Captain William Whitmere. He's the commanding officer of the Naval Construction Battalion Center in Gulfport. We've, we know it as a CV base. Uh, I'm excited about this show today, Cap- Captain, because we get a chance to to share the significance of um, of your leadership and where you've been in your life and how you came to be here, not once but twice, but also the significance of the CB base here in coastal Mississippi. So welcome to the Coast View and Super Talk studio. Thanks, Ricky. It's great to be here. I've always always wanted to be on a radio show because people tell me I have a great radio face. So, uh, <laughs> well, you do. You do, actually. Yeah, it's kind of like watching an episode of Frasier here. There's somebody over in the... Yeah, the, hey, yeah hey, there's morning. Kyle. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Kyle's good amazing. Good morning. How are y'all? I'm doing great. Uh, a couple of a couple of people that I have arranged to be on the show, they have said the same thing, and I have to tell them, well, you know, so, so one of the most popular parts of this show beyond the radio, the 103.1 that people are listening to, is that uh, it's on all podcast platforms. It's it's in YouTube. It's in Facebook, on Facebook Live. And it's, you know, it's alive and well. For, for example, Anthony Wilson, the president and CEO of Mississippi Power, uh, we already have over 1,200 views from our conversation yesterday, so people are going to get to see your radio yeah. face. Yeah. <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> hey, listen, we were talking about before um, before we started the show this morning that I have a friend of mine who is a, is a contractor. He works for both the Marine Corps and the Navy on shipbuilding across the country. Mm-hmm. And when I told him that we were going to meet today, he gave me a lesson. Now, I was publisher of the Sun-Herald, had a long association with the CB Banks, I had a long association you know, with the public. We published the newspaper on the CB base for many, many years. But, but Terry Waldrop is his name. Terry helped me understand your position and your significance within, within the uh, construction, Navy Construction Battalion uh, group. I want to I bring that to life for our listeners today. <clears throat> the other thing is that people may not understand or know this, that the CB base in, in Gulfport has a long history of contributing to the community. Now, for example... I was the president of the uh, Gulf Islands National Seashore. George Slogan was uh, was a, a big founder, a, a co-founder of that organization, and he oversaw the building of the Ship Island Lighthouse. See, most people are not aware that the original light, uh, the, the, the lighthouse that we rebuilt was actually built by the CBs. Uh, the CBs did work at the Lynn Meadows Discovery Center. I mean, if you were to detail all the things that the CBs have done over the years, it's really remarkable. Um, but I want to give them a sense of that. So, um, so you know, I think a great place for us to start, and let's talk about your your journey because you've literally been all over the world. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's an amazing journey. You, did you grow up in South Carolina? I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, yeah. Born and raised there. Um, went to uh, went to college there, University of South Carolina, uh, as an engineering student. Uh, got to go back about seven years later for uh, for graduate school, but uh, really have only been home one year in the last 27. So. Wow. I've been to Columbia. Columbia, uh, the Sun-Herald used to be owned by a company called State Record Company. Yep. And Columbia and Myrtle Beach and the Sun-Herald were all part of that, that yep. family-owned group. I used group. to deliver those newspapers really? at age well, 13. Yeah. I, was a, I, I was a carrier for the Sun-Herald, too, but ultimately became president and publisher of the company. But then we were sold to Nate Ritter, 
and then they're part of the McClatchy group today. But I've uh, been to Columbia. I went there for training. Then I went to Myrtle Beach for training. Okay. So, yep, yep. So I've been to your, been my, to your my home. My wife uh, <clears throat> was living in Myrtle Beach when we met in college. Wow. Yeah. So you, see, it's a small world, isn't yep. it? I'm not surprised you haven't been back there very much because, um, you know, and I want to hear the story of how you came to, to the military. But when you look at your incredible uh, experience uh, around the world, uh, I don't know how you would have had time to go back to Columbia. Right. <laughs> so how did you get into the military? Yeah, so um, so my father uh, was a, uh, an Army sergeant in Vietnam. Uh, he he joined up uh, right about uh, a little bit after the war started, but uh, a tradition of military service in our family. So my grandfather, who's the great patriarch of the family, uh, father grew up in Iowa, um, and uh, and his father was a country doctor. But he actually uh, was went to the United States Naval Academy during World War One, mm-hmm. um, and uh, graduated just after the war finished. Uh, and when was very um, very pro military service, encouraged his boys to go into the military. Um, he had a saying, or my father used to say, "There's a saying that Whitmires don't wait to be asked." Um, and so, from age of five, uh, my well, incidentally, my grandfather. So he he graduated right after the war was over. Uh, spent some time down in Santo Domingo, mm-hmm. um, but kind of missed World War One. By the time it was World War Two, he had gone, gotten out of the Marine Corps, gone into uh, medical profession. <clears throat> so he's the only country doctor, the only doctor within 50 miles of this tiny little town called Sumner, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wanted to join up during World War Two. Uh, they said, "Nope, you're the only doctor. You know, you have to stay in the area. We need you." Uh, so he went to New York and tried mm-hmm. to sneak into the military and was about an inch away from getting in when they figured out who he was, sent him back home. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward to Vietnam. My father's in Vietnam during that time. Uh, my grandfather is in his 70s now. I think he was 72. Uh, did two tours in Vietnam on a program where civilian docs could go over there and work in field hospitals wow. patching up GIs. Mm-hmm. And so that was his service uh, to our country. What an so, inspiration. Yeah, so kind yeah. of a family legend. So, yeah. um, and I grew up, you know, I'm a, a Gen, X, Gen Xer, you know, born in the, born in 1969. I grew up on MASH and Hogan's Heroes and the Guns of Navarone and, you know, and all of those movies. Um, and so, you know, uh, all the kids in the neighborhood played, mm. played Army mm. um, growing up. And so really kind of planned to go in the military since I was about age five. Wow. Um, grew up, uh, like I said, in Columbia, South Carolina, went to uh, went to college on an ROTC scholarship. That was back during when they were handing those out to just about anybody. Um, chose Navy ROTC simply because I, when I was in high school and I was looking at the brochures and and seeing all the different uniforms, I thought the Navy had the coolest uniforms. <laughs> That's about as much thought as you have to watch it. my conversation with Dean and Tim Holloman talking about their father, Boyce Holloman. Um, and and that's one of the reasons why he picked uh, uh, the Navy. Is, yeah, yeah. It just uh, had a cooler you know, uniform. Yeah, coolest. Well, who looks the coolest? So, uh, so I I originally planned on becoming a surface warfare officer, sailing the ships. Um, thought that was the the neatest thing, the coolest thing. Um, during uh, during our summers as midshipmen, uh, people in ROTC, we got we had the opportunity to go. Uh, spend some time on a- in actual mm-hmm. naval service. Mm-hmm. So um, after your junior year, they put you in an officer's uniform and send you to a ship, and you spend about a month on a ship. Mm-hmm. And so 
I went to the USS Gettysburg, which is a cruiser, brand new the day that I that really? I uh, showed mm-hmm. up. She had gotten commissioned the day before I got mm-hmm. on her, and uh, I spent 21 days on the USS Gettysburg, mm-hmm. and it was about 20 days too long. <laughs> I realized the ship going life That's is not, not where you're going to be. <laughs> I had a, a, an, a great uncle who was uh, was actually a sailor on the USS Saratoga during Korea. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he thought it was just the greatest thing. I called him up and I said, Uncle Tom, I just, I can't do this. I'm not cut out for for being on the ships. And he said, well, you're an engineer. Mm -hmm. He said, you ever thought about going in the Seabees? And I said, what's a Seabee? He said, you know, your dad's got those Time Life books from World War II. Go read the stuff about the Pacific. And so... I went and I looked in there, and it's flush with you know stuff from the CBs during the island hopping campaign and everything that they did. Let me tell you, through every conversation, everyone that I that I have conversations with are all successful in their own right, very successful people in in various ways, and they all say the same thing: that there are these moments in their lives, you know, it could be just a single conversation right. that changed everything for them, and that one conversation turned you on a course that. Yeah. Well, it was kind of a double. Uh, so my uncle tells me about that, and it just so happened. ROTC is there to make what they call line officers, so pilots, surface guys, submarine guys, um, and then there's an option to go into the Marine Corps. They don't make Civil Engineer Corps officers. Typically, it's a different commissioning pipeline, but d- that was right about the time when Clinton came in. We went from trying to build up to a 600-ship Navy to going down to 300, mm-hmm. and so the whole system was flooded with too many people in the pipeline to become officers, so they started allowing some folks to go into other communities. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened the recruiter for the Civil Engineer Corps uh, came around right before I got commissioned, interviewed, and and here I am. So, wow. yeah, there's I think there's some providence in that. I don't know what <laughs> I would have done if, if he hadn't come around. So <clears throat> being, being, being in the, in the, um, in the CBs, have, uh, we're, we're about to come to break, but have taken you – to which countries? Now, what, oh, what yeah. I want you to hear is name the countries after we come back from the break. Okay. I want to talk about some of those moments as you traveled around the world. So where did you end up? Oh, gosh. Uh, Okinawa, <clears throat> Japan. Uh, Puerto Rico, which is U.S. territory, but yeah. um, feels like another country. Uh, spent two years in Bahrain, right, mm-hmm. uh, during the time of the Cobor Towers bombing. Um, got to uh, spend about three years in Italy. Um, a year in Africa. And uh, and where else have I been? Mm-hmm. There's another one I'll remember yeah. it. Later. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. We'll we'll come back to that in a second. Okay. <clears throat> what an what a great journey! You also spent time at Camp David. I did the presidential yes. retreat. Uh, I'll, I'll look forward to hearing about that. Yeah, I'll um, have to figure out what I can tell and what I'm not <laughs> supposed to talk about. Um, anyway, we're having a terrific conversation with Captain William Whitmere, who is the uh, commander at the at the CB base or the Naval Construction Battalion Unit. Battalion Center. Battalion Center, Center in yeah. Gulfport. Uh, they're very important uh, a military base for, for the for the CBs, but a great citizen uh, in the community. So we'll come back to them in just a few minutes, and we'll continue this terrific conversation. Subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1.
Welcome back to Coastview. I have Captain William Whitmire with us today. Interesting pronunciation for his name. Tell, tell me about that. Yeah, it's it's probably one of the hundred most butchered names in America. <laughs> um, we did some some research, and I think there's only about 4,000, uh, 4,700, I think, uh, with that name spelling that yeah. live in the in the U.S. Now the uh, uh, the, the legend, the family legend by my grandfather was we were English. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, okay, so we're English. And and then my aunt, after he died, started doing uh, kind of the family historian, you know, doing genealogical research. And we were having a conversation one night, and she said, uh, she said, you know, I can't find anything that goes back to England, what, not with that spelling. She mm-hmm. says, but there's a lot of stuff that lands in Germany. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she said, you know, I was thinking, why would Dad say that we were English when we were German and then it dawned on her he was going to the Naval Academy in the middle of World War One. probably oh, not popular yeah. to be German that's interesting she said and I think he just kind of kept the story going so well, Ca- Captain, I don't know where we're from Captain Whitmire is the commanding officer of the Naval uh, Construction Battalion Center in Guppport and better known as the CB Banks and we were having a, a wonderful conversation about how he got into the military and then it took him literally all over the world and we actually ended with, he actually spent some time as the public works officer right. at Camp David. What, what is Camp David? Yeah, so it's the, it's the presidential <clears throat> retreat, um, history going back to World War II. Uh, President Roosevelt uh, used to enjoy his weekends on a, uh, a yacht, a presidential yacht called the USS Potomac, if memory serves. Uh, World War II pops up and the Secret <laughs> Service got very nervous about him putting around out in the Chesapeake with German U-boats floating around. And so... Mm-hmm. There were some, um, so so th- there was a search to find a place uh, that met certain criteria where the president could go and spend his weekends, and they wanted to get it kind of up in the mountains because it was before air conditioning, and um, you know, and he wasn't he wasn't able to walk, and so they wanted to make it easily accessible and stuff. Uh, they picked a bunch of different sites to look at. Uh, there was an old Works Progress Administration camp, if you remember from the days of the New Deal during mm-hmm, the Depression. A mm-hmm. uh, bunch of oak slabs sided, built from the trees around them. You know, they were doing a lot of uh, tree clearing mm-hmm. uh, up in the mountains of uh, kind of on the very skinny side bet- of, of Maryland, you mm-hmm, know, where it goes mm-hmm. real thin uh, up in the Appalachians there. Um, and they picked that site. So that has been the place where the president will go to do retreats. It's a beautiful place, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, very much so. You, you uh, very small, um, yeah. uh, very small and quaint. You'd miss it if you didn't know exactly where and, and what you, you were looking for. And you worked with two presidents. Two presidents, yeah. <clears throat> so I was there at the end of the Clinton administration. Mm-hmm. That was during the time of the Middle East Peace Summit. Mm-hmm. So it went from, it migrated from being just a retreat to being a place where head of state visits took mm-hmm. place. That still happens today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw the last year of Clinton, the Middle East Peace Summit, and then the first year of uh, President Bush Jr. Wow, that's so first interesting. Two years. You know, it's not called Camp David anymore. It's called Mar-a-Lago. It's what? It's, it's Mar-a-Lago. Mar-a-Lago? And, yeah, the, you know, the, Trump, the Trump facility down in Florida. <laughs> oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, yeah for yeah. sure. I'm not sure how often he, he needs to use Camp David, but, uh, but it's there. So anyway, uh, you had some interesting stays around the world. What, what was the most interesting um, yeah, assignment that you wow. had? Wow. Uh, every one of them has been fascinating. Um, I think, uh, you know, I was in Bahrain, as I mentioned, for two years. So I got there in 19... 19- 95 mm-hmm. in 1990 say it was a tiny little base turned over from the british british had it in the 70s we took it over to the gulf war it was like 26 acres um and in 1996 in the summer cobar towers was mm-hmm. bombed mm-hmm. and so that was the uh entrance of al-qaeda onto the stage started mm-hmm. seeing the the intelligence reports with this osama mm-hmm. bin laden guy mm-hmm. 
uh, Cobar Towers was right across the causeway. It, it broke glass in Bahrain. Mm-hmm. And so the, the remainder of that tour was all about uh, force protection and building. And so we went from 26-acre base to 300 acres in about six months. And it's even bigger today. So eventually, you know, you had, you had an incredible uh, ride, but eventually... It brought you to Gulfport the first time. Yeah, yeah. So I was actually in uh, I was in Italy. So yeah. another fascinating. Uh, uh, I was up in northern Italy, actually working for the army, doing construction. Another uh, beautiful place. Beautiful, beautiful. Three years of just amazing uh, experiences there. Uh, but mm. it was I was a commander, so one rank below where I am, and uh, and it was time to compete for a command slot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a uh, there's a naval construction training center. It's mm-hmm. the big the schoolhouse where we teach the CBs their construction trades. Um, and I was selected for a command there. Mm-hmm. Um, I had done three CB tours prior to that, all in the other CB base in Port Wanamie, California. And so I was mm-hmm. kind of a California. They call them Hollywood CBs. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's you know, where you get the radio face. From. Right. Right. And so so I've been to Gulfport before. Mm-hmm. Um, Gulfport incidentally looks very much like. If you go on the CB base, it looks very much like Fort Jackson, South Carolina, which is mm-hmm. right near where I where I grew up. And I joined the Navy to to see the world, not yeah. to go back home, you know. And so I said, okay, well, it's a command tour. Uh, went came in with kind of low expectations. Three months later, it's in the top three on the list of where we want to retire. We wow. bought a house up in mm-hmm. Woolmarket. Yeah. Um, our first experience the day that we were moving in was a uh, a mob of kids shows up at the at, you know at our door and says, "Do y'all have kids?" <laughs> and uh, and I said, "Yeah, we got two boys. Hang on a second. Liam and Josh go running out the you Isn't know that awesome? and they're off to the races. I actually want to come back to that in the final segment. I want to mm-hmm. I want to hear your observations about coastal Mississippi, Mississippi. So. Talk. For, let's let's shift gears. And what is it that you learned once you got here about the significance of the footprint of the CBs on, on in coastal Mississippi? It's not just about the base itself, but it's yeah. much more wide-reaching than that. Tell it us is. about that. Yeah. So when I was here the first time, um, I got the chance to do that mm-hmm. Naval Construction Training Center, but then to be a br- for a brief time the second in command of the base, <clears throat> the executive officer, uh, while I was waiting to deploy to to Africa. Um, and at the time, we were responsible mm-hmm. for just the CB base um, and then a small piece of property up in Pascagoula, a couple housing developments out in town um, and a CB range. Uh, so I, I come back thinking, okay, I know what this job is going to be all about. And they send you to a course in D.C. Uh, with Navy Installations Command where they teach you how to be a CEO of a base. And they hand me a book and they show me all these maps. And I look at the maps and, you know, okay, I got it, got it. I, yeah, I know all this stuff. And then there's a map of Stennis Space Center. And I said, what is it, Stennis Space Center? Well, there's the center of the Navy's world for oceanography and meteorology is down there. There's mm-hmm. close upward, close to 1,000 sailors in, meet, in meteorology. Mm-hmm. There's also about a couple of hundred sailors with mm-hmm. the Navy SEALs that are doing Navy SEAL specialized jungle uh, riverine training down there. So, okay, so I'm providing support to those guys. And then Pascagoula, you have anywhere between 300 and 1,500 sailors that are part of the shipbuilding that's mm-hmm. going on there. So mm-hmm. Governor Bryant used to talk about 67% of all the ships that are sailing today were built at that shipyard mm-hmm. in Pascagoula. So I'm responsible <clears throat> for shore support to the whole Navy on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi. So one of the things that you came to appreciate, um, and you really get it today, is that coast of Mississippi has a very diverse economy. You know, there's military, there's tourism, there's shipbuilding. 
when you think about how <clears throat> often talked about about the the bookends you've got Ingalls and Chevron on one side right. and Stennis on the other we're going to be having conversations in the near future about Stennis and how significant it is because what's happening there on so many different in so many different disciplines is really important to national defense to science to space space yeah. it's unbelievable how important it is and i think it probably surprises people to hear the the presence that you have there yeah a lot very very uh not widely known that if mm-hmm. you talk about ncbc gulfport it's really it's a broader navy presence a pretty large presence i mean it it takes you an hour and change to get from one end of it to mm-hmm. the other. Mm-hmm. and what about okay so talk specifically about the CB base as we know it. Yeah, so tell people where it's located. Yeah, some so, people it's off the well, beaten yeah, path a little and, bit. And you know, people yeah. love the CBs, and and there's a history behind that mm. that I can cover briefly. But uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's a tiny little piece of real estate. It's 1,200 uh, acres that is uh, you know just kind of you know if you cross 49 from the mayor's office. Um, and head west, um, you're going to kind of run into it. It's at the end of Pass Road. You know, Keesler's on mm-hmm. one end of Pass Road. The CB base is on the other end. Uh, short history on the base, 1942, the day before D-Day, uh, that base was founded. It was founded as a logistic staging base, so think of it as a giant home depot that would send materials to the Pacific Theater, where all the island hopping was going on, mm-hmm. and to the European Theater. CBs were some of the first to come ashore at Normandy. Mm-hmm. Um so no CB station there. Most of the CB battalions, there were one out of every five sailors in the Navy during the height of World War II was a CB because of all the construction going on, 330,000 CBs. Uh, none of those battalions were formed here. Base uh, w- it was open during the war, closed down until about 1966. There's actually two ladies, the wife of the first CO who opened the base as a CB base is still here. Carmen Ingram, she lives right downtown. Really? Yeah. Um, and so they decided that we're going to bring the CB battalions and give them a home and make this a CB base. They were mm-hmm. up in Rhode Island. Um, so sailors show up in 1966, and if you talk to some of the some of the older folks that saw that, they said that we weren't too thrilled to have all these sailors running around chasing their daughters. And, stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and that and that was kind of you know so there was kind of a hands off relationship until Hurricane Camille. Yes. So mm-hmm. Camille happened, and people will tell you stories that remember Camille about how CB saved the coast, and mm. suddenly we went from being. Um, you know, a little scary to being the adopted sons and daughters of the of the Gulf Coast of Mississippi. You know, actually, from that point on, the CB base and its uh, and its you know principles and its belief in coastal Mississippi became integrated with the rest of the community. Right. It was Camille that that brought that. Over. We're going to actually pick it up from there after okay. this break. But I've got Captain Whitmire with us today. He is the uh, commanding officer for the Naval Construction Battalion Center in Gulfport better known as the CB base. And man, you're you're you've got a great personality. It's, it's a pleasure to spend this time with you and share you with with Coastal Mississippi so we can all understand how important what you do is to the rest of the coast. So we'll be back after this break. Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Twitter at Supertalk MSGC. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Supertalk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back. We're having just a fascinating conversation with Captain Bill Whitmire, who is the uh, commanding officer of the Naval Construction Battalion Center in Gulfport, or better known as the CB Base. And we've gone on his journey, and now we're actually talking about the CB Base in general, the footprint of the CB Base, the history of the CB Base. And in this segment, we want to talk more about the mission and all that. But let's finish talking about sort of the here, the, the, the history and what's happening just on the base these days. Yeah, so uh, so as I mentioned, and at uh, Hurricane Camille, kind of you know changed the community's perspective, and fo- folks will tell stories mm-hmm. about how CBs rolled out the gate and and really helped to get the coast uh, fairly quickly standing back on its yeah. on its own. Do they still talk about that history they on do, the base? They do. Yeah. As a matter of fact, yeah. um, um, uh, uh, Mayor McDermott called me up uh, very short notice. Uh, they were coming up on the 75th ant, or it was 75th or 50th. Yeah. Trying to do public map Not here the, of Camille. Yeah, fiftieth. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and past Christiane yeah. wanted to um, uh, wanted to do a, a remembrance ceremony, and so uh, Chipper called me and said, "Hey, can you send some CBs down here? We want to brag on them and stuff." And so, you know, really quick talking to the Commodore, but they got a whole company of CBs. The Commodore went down there, and they just made a great production. It was very touching, particularly mm-hmm. for the young guys. Yeah. you know, mm-hmm. the CBs who they weren't here during. I wasn't even born during that time, yeah. and. Uh, and you know, lots of hugs and stuff. It was just great outreach from the community. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to Katrina. Um, so you know, Hurricane Katrina was huge, uh, great impact to the to the coast, as everybody is still talking about. Um, I was actually in a CB battalion in California at the time. Um, I was the executive officer of uh, NMCB four. Uh, we were in the field. Had spent three weeks in the field. 115 degrees in the day, 32 degrees at night. We were exhausted. We're coming out of the field. I fall asleep in the back seat and and wake up to somebody, my uh, the ops officer, nudging me and saying, "Hey, we got to go back. Why are we going back? Because Hurricane Katrina just hit the coast, and we have 48 hours to get an air detachment of 150 CBs to Gulfport to help them because our CBs here were busy taking care of their own families, mm-hmm. and so we actually mm-hmm. deployed CBs from the West Coast to come in." And help with that hurricane recovery mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Same stories, um, mm-hmm. just uh, you know, a, a lot of just great stories about how CBs had the opportunity to help the coast uh, get the transportation going again, get debris clean up, uh, stabilize some folks' homes and stuff. And uh, you know, and we were proud to do it. And 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 we're here any time that that happens. Mm. Uh, every time a hurricane comes to town, there's a hundred or eighty to ninety to one hundred and fifty CBs. We'll load up trucks with equipment, get it preloaded and ready to go, and even staying on the base and waiting for the call to go out either into the community here or wherever that hurricane hits to help with disaster recovery. Wow. So it's, it's not only giving back to the community, but it's, great, it's a great training opportunity for the, it is. for the men who are involved in that because they could literally face anything. Very it's much very so. warlike, isn't it? Yes, yeah, very much. And any disaster, um, it's, it's chaos. It's... Uh, it's um, you know austerity. Mm-hmm. It's people suffering, um, mm-hmm. and and CBs. You know that we deploy around the world. We are doing it today, right now, um, in environments like that. And so you know we have some very unique skills that we can bring, and we do bring, um, and we do it with pride and happiness here on mm-hmm. the coast. Anytime we get the opportunity. So there's two parts. There's a there's obviously multiple parts, but there's a in terms of sort of a layman, you've got your mission, and it's multiple. There are multiple aspects to the mission. And then you've got your community involvement and how you, you know, how you approach that. Um, let's start with community. What, what are some of the things that are happening at the base today to continue to strengthen the partnership with the Coast community? Yeah, th- and there's a lot going on. So um, 
about a year and a half ago, um, Congressman Palazzo asked the local base commanders, so that's Camp Shelby, uh, the guard base, the, the Air and Army <laughs> National Guard base at the airport here in Gulfport, um, and Keesler and us, uh, to come and just do lunch together um, and just talk about you know how can we do better of ta- working with each other, the multiple services, but also are there opportunities for us to do more in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, that, fast forward a year from, from then, it's all the base commanders in Mississippi. It's like 12 to 17 bases, depending on how you count them, um, are meeting on this thing called an Installation Commanders Council, which meets twice a year with the governor of Mississippi. Yeah, wow. um, that's been tremendous from the aspect of, obviously, the state understanding um, and the state is very keenly interested in increasing its military industry, its defense industry in the state, but wanting to know what the needs of the community are. And so, so mm-hmm. we, have a, we have a direct and very deliberate mm-hmm. dialogue with the state. So people can understand the significance of your role, the, the significance of your leadership. You, you've had a significant role in starting that, correct? Yes, yeah. I was, uh, I'd mm-hmm. had some experience. I had just come from Marine Corps Base Camp Pendleton, a 200-square-mile base. Um, and there was a lot of it. The Marine Corps was very good at engaging mm-hmm. uh, with the community um, to partner with the community, but also to make sure that the community understands what the needs of the base are so that the yeah. base can be viable, uh, particularly for Seabees. As, as an extra highlighting example, um, the base being healthy and continuing to be viable as a mission platform for the Seabees mm-hmm. enables us to do things like respond when there's a when there's an emergency in the community. Where, where you're a good communicator, and at, at the same time, when you consider your communication ability, coupled with your experience, and just as you mentioned, the experience you had in, in terms of uh, uh, that you leveraged in creating this opportunity for base commanders from across the state to come together, just another benefit of having someone with a, a lot of wisdom and experience to, to come in and make a difference. Yeah. And this was your way to make a difference. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, you know, so that's kind of the state level, the local level. Um, we're, we're doing um, initiatives to do, uh, we have new authorities that the federal government gave us back about six years ago where we can actually uh, do partnerships with uh, city government or the county government to share resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, so things like why do I have a separate contract for trash removal in the county or the city of Gulfport do? If we jumped on their contract, that maybe the community would get better pricing per ton, and we might actually get uh, get a better get a better price. We've explored with the city of Gulfport about letting the city use two of our water towers for some new development north of the base, which would avoid them having to spend that capital mm-hmm. cost to support any new development. Um, and then we just figure out who pays who for the, for the water. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and a whole host of things. The county mm-hmm. is now doing uh, mosquito uh, surveillance and uh, um, prevention on our base because mm-hmm. they have the resources within the county and we pay them to do that. And mm-hmm. so tremendous opportunities for the base and the community to work together. Well, that's actually you know, that, that's good to hear because it's more than just going in and building a, a playground for kids that that can create an, a good thing for the community and a good learning opportunity for your men. You're literally talking about a, a level of integration that we've never done before. Yeah, yeah. We talk about yeah. you know we're good at hugs and kisses. We've yeah. been doing that for you know 75 years here on the coast. Um, but the military, if you you know if you if you look at the broader aperture, they're talking about great power competition. If you go down to the museum in in uh, New Orleans, the World War II mm-hmm. museum. And you look at the news reports today, um, it's kind of history repeating itself. Mm-hmm. And so 
so that the, the Navy and all the all the services are in a race to build up to that you know that future potential peer to peer you know conflict between mm-hmm. us and China, us and Russia. Um, and all the money is being sucked away from the bases mm-hmm. to build ships and airplanes and subs. And so we've got to find ways to keep our bases viable. And one of those ways to do that, and the president has recognized it, and all the secretaries of the of the military have recognized that, that to the extent that the mm-hmm. base can really integrate with the community and figure out the business deals that are beneficial to both, yeah. there's an opportunity for us to provide the same mission at a lower cost. Yeah, level. economies of scale. Yeah. So that's the community and gives us a sense of how your leadership has been playing out. What about the mission? As it relates to CBs, tell, tell us about that. Yeah, so so the CB base is if you kind of if you if you figured a CB battalion is a ship, it's the home port and it's also the maintenance depot uh, for that ship. And so the the CBs have this base. They train on the base. Uh, we have all of their logistics, all the you know mountains and mountains of construction equipment and stuff that's in warehouses ready to go when uh, when they need it. Um, and then it's the place where they live and work. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we provide that environment. I tell folks I'm the mayor of Mayberry. Um, it's a small town. You know, Mayor Hughes and I were just talking about it last week when we were doing an exercise on the base. And uh, uh, it feels very much like, you know, running a small town. It's yeah. everything from the administrative and the training facilities and the logistics and the maintenance facilities that support their direct mission. But it's also family housing. We have 561 units where families, you know, live on the base. Uh, we have a commissary and exchange. We have a child development center. We have uh, a, lo- a lodging operation for traveling military folks. We have a security, a fire, and emergency management organization. So it is really like town. running a town. Yeah, yeah. You, you've got things Mayberry didn't have. Oh, pretty much, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do. I do watch Andy Griffith. How would Andy solve that problem? <laughs> I use that phrase. You know, it feels a lot like Mayberry. Often, yeah. there's a lot of small towns that I go to in the Delta, and it feels like you're going back in time. But I, there's a, something just you know, wholesome about that old Mayberry comparison. Very you know? much so, yeah. So uh, we're, we're coming to the end of this of this particular segment, but what we're going to do in the next segment is uh, we'll finish the mission, and I really want to hear what you've learned about the spirit of Mississippians. Oh, and, I can talk all How much time we got? <laughs> but we want to make sure we don't shortchange the mission because there's okay. there's the mission is, is much broader than what you were just saying. Uh, we have, you know, it's a shorter session, but but I want to make sure we get, you know, come back. Also, I want to find out where are your sons today? What's going on with your yeah, family? Yeah, so okay. we'll come back after the break. And um, we have uh, Captain uh, Bill Whitmire, who is the commanding officer for the Naval Construction Battalion Center in Gulfport, or better known as the CB Base. We'll be back after this break. Kyle. So listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say Alexa. Open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. It's a great time to be on the coast, and we love talking about it. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back. We have Captain Bill Whitmire, who's the commanding officer for the CB base with us today. And we were talking about the mission. And look, since the war on terror, the CBs have been really busy, haven't they? Yeah, 
very much so. so. give us a sense of what that looks like. Yeah, so, um, you know, during Iraq and Afghanistan, we had 21 CB battalions. Uh, two at any one time were deployed downrange to Iraq or Afghanistan. After the wars wrapped up um, in both of those areas, we're still there, but it's kind of over, uh, at least for CBs. Um, we took a 42% cut to the force. And so we've gone from 21 CB battalions, acti- or total battalions in the Navy, to only 11 of them. Uh, but the mission is actually growing. And mm-hmm. so uh, the CB battalions here in Gulfport will deploy um, their, their main body site is in Rota, Spain. So they deploy to Europe. But they'll only leave a small portion of folks behind there. They deploy down to Africa. They're in countries all over Africa. Uh, they're deployed throughout the Central Command, so um, the Middle East, um, and also deployed throughout the European theater. And then they'll send about 150 people over to Guam to take care of one of the CB deployment sites there for the Pacific plan. So that this is all. This is all your one guys? battalion. Wow, yeah, just that's incredible. Uh, 600 guys will have to spread across the world that much, and that's been going on since the end of the war. And the and the demand is it just gets higher and higher because. CBs are the only type of engineer unit that can go anywhere and build anything. So we're yeah. very much a multi-tool. That that's incredible. So you um, you have been all over the world, and you said you bought a house in Mississippi. I did. You could have bought a house anywhere. I you did. could have it's bought a house, house in I've Italy. It's the only house I've ever owned. Uh, really? Right, here, right up in Walmart. So, so yeah. why did you buy a house here? Well, at the time uh, coming in, uh, it was you know it was just a good time to buy, and so mm-hmm. we bought a house. But uh, you know, as I mentioned, the first day that we were you know moving in, the kids showed up. Um, that reminded me of home. That's the way I grew up. Was you know we had the run of the neighborhood at six years old, and you know in South Carolina. Yeah, me too. That, um, yeah. And then uh, and then later on in the day, the neighbors showed up with food. You know, and and I have not experienced that anywhere in the country and all the places that I've been. Um, and it and it's just like you know home was growing up, and so we got to be really good friends with the neighbors. Uh, fast forward to Halloween, we still do Halloween around here like I did it growing up, and you know families everywhere. There's hay rides. There's you know there's kids, thousands of kids running all over the place, and then Christmas time. So we had mm-hmm. just come back from Italy. And, uh, you know, they don't do Christmas in a big way, certainly not, you know, as much lights and stuff as we do here. And uh, so my wife says, you know, you need to go put up the put up the Christmas lights. You know, I'm like, well, we don't have any. We just came back from Italy. And so the next door neighbor says, well, we've got extras in the garage. So they come out with a big tub. They put them on the house. I put them on the house. Krisha gets back with uh, with her friend, and they look at the house, and they said, oh, no, 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 they need to be bigger than that. And I said, that's it. That's all you're getting for this year. <laughs> I come home the next Monday. And I drive up, it's dark, and the lights that are on the house are not the ones that I put up. The neighborhood had staged a Christmas intervention <laughs> and fixed me so that I was so that I was proper. And that's you know that, that is the experience that I've had on mm-hmm. the coast since I've been here. Is it's very much community. Um, that the culture on the coast has been very welcoming with open arms. So mm-hmm. a lot of communities, you know, they kind of got to warm up to you before they accept you. It, it was open arms from the day that we got here, and I hear that story uh, time and time again from our military community. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, you know the 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 culture on the coast. Uh, the the folks down here are just interesting. They're very happy people, um, and and they just love to have a good time. And you know, and so I I, I fit in pretty well because mm-hmm. that's kind of how I grew up. It's not like that back mm-hmm. home anymore, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, it was like I said, three months in, we're like. Okay, this is completely different than we were expecting. So the so the um, the the Mississippi is the hospitality estate. Very much so, in a very real way. 
And, you know, it, come, it does come from the heart and souls of, of Mississippians. And as you know, that uh, regularly in, in the study of philanthropy, Mississippi are also givers. They're, you know, first, second, and third on the list year after year after year, even though the, 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 the medium income is lower than most, in most other states in the nation. It says something about us. And it's so interesting to hear someone like you who's been all over the world to really feel it in that way. You mentioned about going to Mardi Gras and past Christian. And, yeah. And, yeah. Oh, and it's yeah. constant. You know, we, we get requests from, you know, the Rotaries and the Kiwanis and the cities and the counties and stuff to, to, to bring our military out there just because they want to brag on them and say thank you. You know, I see endless stories about military go out in town and they get a cup of coffee and they won't take their money. Um, <laughs> You know, but it's uh, but it's also um, it's also much more. You know, very often we are getting requests for churches to come in. What can we do to help your sailors or soldiers mm-hmm. or airmen or Marines? We have all of them on the CB yeah, base. Of course. Uh, yeah. What can we do to help you with your mission? And that's very much. Uh, you know, it's just it's just a uh, it's a, a need I think that the community feels to be a part of our military mission and to show that support in the most real ways that well, they it's, can. It's, it's mutually it's mutually beneficial. Uh, we're coming to the end of our time together, uh, but it has been a it has been a fascinating journey, uh, especially impressed with your grandfather at yeah, seventy two yeah. years old as a doctor going to Vietnam. Yeah, what yeah. a legacy in your family. Yep. And what about your sons? Where are they today? Uh, one is in the Air Force. He's in uh, Germany. He's actually deployed to Qatar, and the other one's in the Seabees in a C- in my old CB battalion, an MCB four. Wow, yeah, that yep. is so, that is so. So the family traditions continue. Continues. Yes. Well, it's been, uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. To Thanks, Ricky. The honor's mine. Um, that's Captain Bill Whitmire, who is the commanding officer for the CV base. And, you know, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you, and have a great day. We'll Thank see you, you tomorrow morning. Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say Alexa. Open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.